Welcome. You've made it tough shit. Podcast puts your first world problems into perspective. We are your hosts. I am Corey. I'm Chris. And it's been a while. Yes, he's here too, Ben. Um, no, no, Ben. A while. This is gonna take me. This is gonna take me a minute. I'm gonna try and like. I'm trying to get into because I'm I'm exhausted. So I'm gonna try. I'm trying to like kind of slide into like kind of. Uh, what do I want to say? Like entertaining mode. I'm I, trying to sound excited. like I'm super excited. No, like considering you came over here and just laid on my living room floor and didn't say anything. I did. I'm feeling very <laughs> defeated. <laughs> Like walk in and just collapse like, oh, he's ready. But one thing I, I actually I do credit myself with is that I can very quickly put on a different skin. You know okay. I mean? Like yeah, yeah, like uh Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, so I have a closet full of skins. Oh, no, yeah. I, I can I can <laughs> pretend to be and it like it's that fake it till you make it. If I if yeah. I just like you convince myself that I'm ready to go, yeah. I'm ready to go. And now all of a sudden I'm ready to go. See, just like that. Yeah. Okay, continue your intro. Oh, yeah. So you have made it to Tough Shit. Uh, we're Chris and Corey. We're your hosts. That's Collectively. Us. Collectively. We're we joined are at the butt. <laughs> we are butt brothers. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ew. Yeah, yeah, Where I, would you shit? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think about the logistics of it. Because yeah, we do have I mean, Siamese shit or something. There would have to be one butthole between the two of us because otherwise we just shit into each other. Oh, God. All right, so uh, we have an Instagram, by the way, uh, at TS Podcast Official. If you want to check us out over there, that would be great. Give us a like and a follow and all that shit you do on social media. Uh, if you follow us on Spotify or listen to us there or on Apple, please be kind and give us a rating or a review. That would be awesome as well. Uh, you could also consider supporting us directly through the anchor.fm link in the show notes. It helps us out and wants to gives us a little bit of spark to think like hey technically we, we're making money technically no 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 no, no. no we're tough still shit the, the pot tough shit the no, podcast the is running a loss yes <laughs> i will assure you proudly that. have been running a loss for yeah. almost two years now. yes we are two years in the hole but yeah so if you want to check us out over there that would be great we do have some supporters over there uh the usuals brie arlene sarah m kathy m and sarah j Shout wait out how many you. is that i didn't count it's the same five is it five it's, five or six it's five the same five for the last thank you Ten months. All of you. <laughs> you get so Holding confused. steady. You get so five. confused by that. <laughs> I mean, technically, like we could call them part of our crew. So there's seven. Oh of yeah, us. they're. Oh, if geez. we were there, because technically we put money into it. So there's seven of us. Well, you and I run the show. And seven's a lucky number. It's my <laughs> I, second favorite number. I right run next to the 11. show <laughs> more than you, but you're still there. It's I okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not you're not contesting that. All right. So yeah, we have Anchor FM link. That would be great to check us out there. You can uh, help us out. At Ninety nine cents. I think four ninety nine and nine ninety nine. So ten dollars. Ten bucks. That'd be great. <clears throat> or just what you could really do is just share the show with people. That's the best way you could help. That would be awesome. Uh, let's see what else do I want to do. Oh, speaking of shout outs. I would like to give a shout out to VJ over at the Cheer Up Babe podcast. Oh yeah, he just showed me he was wearing because he's good looking, so he does his uh, his like he can he does video. Yes, he's he's, he's not a, hideous. <laughs> he's equipped to do video, unlike you and I. Who and he just, wore our shirt. Yeah, I, I sent him a shirt and uh, just messaging back and forth a little bit. 
I sent him a business card and it was funny in his episode. He's like, geez, these guys got their shit together. And I'm like, if you only knew. No, we do not. <laughs> Technically, anybody with however much that cost could get business cards. Like oh, if a homeless yeah, they were man cheap. They were had cheap. a good day, he could get business cards. Yeah. As like a panhandler. Yeah. You know? With like a phone number from a local payphone. I pretty much got the business cards made for the sheer fact of like, here's our, like, instead of just starting the awkward conversation, like, hey, do you like podcasts? And, you know, the whole like, yeah or no, why? I have a card ready and it says the podcast that puts your first world problems in I know, I've got them. I know, I gave you a bunch that are probably buried in your glove box. No, I use them for bookmarks. See? (laughs) Exactly. So they're a nice icebreaker for that. So that's cool with those, but they're cheap. So VJ, don't beat yourself up. We're we are light years th- yeah, behind thank you. Thank you, VJ. <laughs> thank you for the kind words, by the way. So yeah, go check him out over uh, Cheer Up Babe podcast. I have a Cheer Up Babe T-shirt that fit kind of when I got it, and now yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> but it's not any. Did like, it shrink or did you? No, un-shrink? I I opposite <laughs> shrunk. I got bigger than not where I uh-huh. than what I was before. So yeah. now it doesn't fit as well in my chest. That happens. That happens. <laughs> as you know, I had a. Uh, Part of the reason why we're so behind on putting up stuff, I finally went on my honeymoon a year after getting married, so that was pretty cool, and I kind of unshrunk on that vacation, but just a little bit, not a whole lot, but that's what you do on nice vacations, right? Yeah, and then you shrink on good, on bad ones. <clears throat> do you? Right? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, oh, also, we are trying to do a Q&A episode every quarter, so every season, if you will. Uh, please send us questions or comments or anything if you want us to read something for the Q&A episodes, and that will be to toughshitthepodcast at gmail.com. So please do that. You can literally ask us anything for the most part. Like, well, like, I can ask hey, whatever you want. We don't have to answer it. Like, hey, Chris, what's your credit card number, security code, yes. and your address? Yes. No, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> yeah, we will not do that. <laughs> I'm actually pretty responsible with credit cards, I have to say. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that's Just good. Just throwing that in there. Oh, good, good. I didn't get my, my first one until I was 27. I was in my 20s. Yeah, yeah I was close to 30. <clears throat> so, okay. I think that's uh, most... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I did mention to you off air about this, but our intro and outro music for the last few episodes has been all over the fucking board for our more astute listeners who notice, be like, wait a minute, that's not the normal intro and outro music. It's because Anchor decided to rename it and... I couldn't fucking find it in the huge list of intro and outro music, but I think I found it, and I think we're good. So long as it doesn't disappear again. <laughs> it doesn't affect me at all. I know, because you don't because listen if to you the didn't show. Tell, if you didn't tell me that, I wouldn't have known. any production value. Because I don't, yeah, and I, I don't listen to it. So. <laughs> I know. This is a, a solid 60-40 operation here. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So it is a full episode. It's been a long time, and we're here to get you learnt, to get you smart, because today's topic is education. Higher education. Higher education. Are you going to put it down as education, education. or higher education? Okay. Because <clears throat> yeah. I, I, when, I, when you said higher education, I assumed college. And like, no, no, no. We, remember oh. we, we talked about September because that's when most kids are back in high school or oh. college. Some start in August, but you know where we're at, where it's September. Okay. So, yeah, it is education, the education episode. Uh, you know, sitting around in high school or college learning dumb shit that you probably won't utilize in real life. Uh, that might come to mind when it comes to education. Would you like to know the definition? Of education? I guess, yeah. Well, why don't me. you guess? Okay, wait, like this is like fancy pants, stupid fucking 
like oh, from you, a dictionary? Yes. <laughs> Fancy pants, stupid from a dictionary. Yeah. You know, yeah. words are hard. Okay, hang on. Wait, <laughs> okay. let me guess. Education, mm-hmm. three syllables, right? Wait, education, four syllables. <laughs> See, four you're, already, syllables. you're teaching us. And so it's wrote out on your computer with little dots in between where you're supposed to say No, I didn't copy and paste the fucking thing. I just wrote down the description. Education, the process of... I don't know what it is. <laughs> what is it? Wow, you actually got the first part of the process. Okay, there yeah. you go. The process of receiving or giving systematic instruction, especially at a school or university. Okay. Right? I can educate myself. I firmly believe I don't that, have to educate you. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I firmly believe that I have educated myself far more than most of what I learned in high school. A thousand or, percent. Yes. Or oh, yeah. my wasted time at college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, oh, to get into the first world complaints, um, <clears throat> speaking for the U.S., because I didn't go to school anywhere else, uh, one aspect is there's the insane, insane amount of public funds that school districts and universities piss away on shit that has nothing to do with actually educating young people. Uh, the whole one-size-fits-all education in the U.S. is fucked up. And, you know, they don't really teach toward a student's strengths right that's yes. kind of one of the issues um and that's why we have a generation of people with massive debt and nothing to show for it there's also the angle from the parents perspective of trying to like help their kids with learning you know common core teaching which to me amplifies the whole one size fits all thing have you heard i like people complaining about oh god that? yeah oh yeah um and then I'm just not interrupting. I'm letting you educate me on whatever this is you're talking about. These are the complaints. <laughs> Do you have any complaints with education? I have stuff that I've gone through. But okay. No, you can finish yours. Okay. It's fine. And then, uh, let's see, there's the angle of, oh, yeah, like uh, the tenured teachers, you know, the ones you can't get rid of. They'll completely fucking suck at their job, and you can't fire them. Like half of my teachers senior year. I have an opinion on this. <laughs> See, this is like the, uh-huh. you get into like this is territory that I gotta remember. Like I don't want to. I have an opinion, but I don't want to alienate anybody that might be listening to the show since we don't have very many people that listen to the show. But yes, no. This that, is this is the complaints. Oh, this is other people's complaints. This is complaints. Okay. This is I'm first complaining world complaints. about that. So I wish I had fucking tenure. <laughs> I'm just saying, a tenured water well worker. Yeah. Um. And then there's the angle from the students, you know, like having to have a uh, asshole teacher. Uh, let's see, uh, being bored as shit in class, not really being remotely interested in what you're learning, uh, having to deal with, you know, like I said, asshole teachers and staff, or uh, you know, the bullies in school or whatever, just fucking punch them in the face. Um, let's see, or being in the echo chamber of radicalized university professors. There's a ton of shit that people piss and moan about with first world complaints. Now, I will say, even though it's kind of a mess in the U.S., I would think, but we still have a fucking education system. That's very true. We don't have witch doctors and mud huts, you know, mm-hmm. cutting our limbs off because we see spirit people. I didn't really think about that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But still, it's a fucking disaster. Anyway, all that out of the way, personal story. You said you had one. Oh, I got a bunch of them. For education. Yeah, I can talk about it all day. Let's hear What it. do you want to know? <laughs> Learn me something. At, well, I should, because I'm the only one in this room who went to college. Hmm. Yeah. What do, what do you got to show for that? A lot of... Um, Debt? Well, <laughs> it's paid man, off now. Man, you're owning me on this one. I did go to... Uh, 
I did. A, I think I did a year at a community college. I can't even remember how long I was there. Mostly in psychology, and I do remember like the local community college yes. that do, you had to bike to. Yeah, I did have to ride my bike. There was a long, and so I'd like everybody's just like, I don't know. Like you were the, there like a semester, maybe. I think it was two. I don't know. All I remember is this one class. I think it was achievement in self, which sounds like a really positive class. But I just you all just I jack remember, off all day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> close achievement in self. So, <laughs> the all I remember is like sitting. The guy I had to sit next to. We had. A, they didn't give us chairs. It was kind of mm-hmm. hippie-ish. Yeah. He sat on a pillow, and the guy who sat next to me. Very well dressed, yep. athletic. He looked like a real put together guy. Yeah, didn't wear deodorant, so he stunk. Ugh. It just it was uncomfortable. And then the guy who ran the class, like it was supposed to be a real positive enforcement kind of psychology class. Yeah, he spent most of it trying to get us to read Michael Moore books and watch Bowling for Columbine. <laughs> that you're, was you're his, shitting me. No, I'm st- I'm dead serious. My God. I think he was a what do I not a patsy. A he was plant. A, yeah, from Michael Moore. He was a Michael Moore. He was a plant. knight. He looked like Michael Moore. Might have been Michael Moore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I took a psychology class from Michael Moore. Was he 300 pounds? He was a big man. Okay, very big man. Yeah, nice guy though. It's yeah. nice, you know. And then I did go to Buffs. Well, uh, I guess it doesn't matter. I went to Buffalo for uh-huh. college uh, yep. for edu. What did I go for? I, English and theater. theater. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it didn't work out. No. So okay, uh, that's your personal tales of. Oh, I got a ton of them, but yeah. I mean, I should probably stop. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing with that. I, like, I wrote, uh, I fucked off way too much in school. You know, like my good memories are more based around nothing to do with the actual education, more on the dumb shit my friends and I did in between classes. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about it before the trip to the wood carving museum. Yes. The oh yeah. Bomb on bus. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, it was fucking hilarious. The carousel museum. The car- yeah, the yes. wood car- yeah, the carousel mm-hmm. museum. That was it. <clears throat> it was for the wood carving class. Uh there was also um our class made our own yearbook with all of our tales of fucking Oh yeah, you guys got in a bunch of trouble for Oh that. yeah. Like I almost didn't get to graduate because <laughs> But yeah, a bunch of us got in trouble. So actually just a couple of us because I was one of the I didn't produce it, but I helped print all the copies. Well, you know who else did that? Hmm. Oh God, I can't remember what it was called. The something rag. Stephen King did the same thing in high school. Really? Yep. And he got in a bunch of trouble for it because it was like ratting like ragging on oh, that's teachers. What, this was just kids talking about drinking yeah. and fucking each other yep. and destroying people's houses and all sorts of yeah. shit. Yeah. Stephen King did that and he is pretty successful uh, yeah, so I've you have a him. bright future <laughs> yeah look you, at me friend. go <laughs> look at me go shout out to uh who uh, yeah me and nate yeah that was it nate he, he put it together anyway so um but like i will say i was a solid b student so it wasn't a complete waste like i was uh, enough to get by <laughs> you know that was hit or miss but the education aspect really didn't do much for me or it it just wasn't conveyed to me well like you and I just talked about, we have learned so much more shit by just doing this fucking show and enjoying it as an adult. Or as a kid, I'm like, oh, it's fucking lame or boring. But I don't know. It's really fucking cool if you ask me. No, I like just I, not conveyed well. The, the, I, uh, I, I, the, I do uh, get the irony behind, like, uh, I think it's irony. I always say it wrong. Um, being a kind of shit fart of a person for most of high school and, like, into college yep. and, like, just being a waste <laughs> oh, part and yeah. like hating it and not doing great yep. and now as an adult 
I spend most of my free time learning, learning things and reading things and getting books and oh, just yeah. devouring information and enjoying the hell out of it and yep. doing my best to educate myself Absolutely. by myself. Yeah. It's a lot cheaper, too, especially if you get on second sale. Fuck yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's our little personal stories. Hey, I went to Princeton once. <laughs> what for? Just a visit. Okay. Yeah. Well, did you know anyone going there? We were in Jersey, and so we went to Princeton. I walked around. I yeah. just remember going to a bookstore. A lot of turtlenecks. It was kind of douchey. It was cool. It was like kinda, it looked neat. Yeah. But like I just remember going to this bookstore. I was so excited to go to a bookstore like at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those bookstores where it was set up like an art gallery. You uh, know, like huge space, very few books. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah, gotta yeah. find that nice density where like it's not like a used bookstore where they're just stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. But use the space. Yeah. Find a yes. nice middle ground. There. It was for people looking like they were gonna read and then not reading. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll hit you with a quick statistic here. I'll hit you with a stick. What the fuck? Why? <laughs> Sorry, skin came off for a minute. Woo! <laughs> Your skin's slipping right, off. Uh, quick statistic. The U.S. Department of Education has a yearly budget of $68 billion and is slated to go up to $83 billion every year. Who do you just want to upset me? Yep. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I think I did the quick math. And if you divided that equally between every public school, that's something like $620,000 goes to each school every year. Obviously, it's not that fucking... Right. Some schools get $3 million and some get 10000 Yep. So, <clears throat> um, stories. Yes. I'm I think following I'm- your direction. What did I say? You went first. Yeah, did, did I road trip. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you're going first. first? <clears throat> yes. So I have to contain myself for another like 20 minutes. Yeah, maybe mine's shorter. I, I know we talked about. I, I will say in the last episode, it was our longest in the last full episode. It was the longest one. It's like an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. But that was a lot of fucking talking. Yes. It was way too much. Oh, that's what I'm trying. I'm, I'm so, done. I'm not talking again until okay. you're done. If you interrupt, you, you that's fine. Okay, it might add a little time to my story, which okay. will help well, yours. I probably I won't say a fucking word. No. Just let you jackhammer through. But it. just look happy though when you're listening to it. Smile the whole time. I want Show you to smile with teeth. this one too. Okay. Okay. I'm not showing you my teeth though. <clears throat> All right. Would you like to get educated? Would you like to learn something on education? Yes. Okay. Story. That's oh, great I- fucking title. Yeah. <laughs> Got to stick with that template. All right. You open your eyes in a panic. The dread falls across your face as you realize that your summer has come to an end and the first day of school is upon you. You pray that you will get to sit next to your best pal in class and that your new teacher isn't a total prick. After a few egos, you're out the door and on to the smelly school bus. The anxiety builds as you near the brick and concrete structure that kind of looks like a prison but is actually your new middle school. As you walk in the front door, the first teacher you see uh, kicks out your knees, jams an AK-47 in your stomach, and starts yelling in your face about how there is no God and that the Communist Party is your only savior now. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I uh, was this, following it up until this, then. <laughs> this doesn't sound like a typical North American student's first day of school. That sounds more like the post-war Vietnamese re-education camps that thousands of people lost their lives in during the years following the Vietnam War and that's what you're going to learn about today. 
Boy, I'm glad I did a fun one because <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. I started to get a little stomach ache though. You were just talking about it. It did kind of stir something yeah. in me. Not the AK thing. Yeah. But I remember being followed to school, but like my parents had drive, drive, drive behind the bus my first day. Come on. Seriously. Really? I was a giant bitch. Aww. And I still kind of am. Aww. Mandy has to follow me to work still. <laughs> no, I'm sure when my mom threw me on the bus, she was like, thank fucking God. I was a good <laughs> Go kid then. School. I still had promise. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you're young, you're innocent. You don't mm-hmm. you don't have podcasts with your neighbors, your middle-aged neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Back in 1975, under poor direction and shoddy leadership, the South Vietnamese government fell, pretty much opening the door for the miracle of communism to flood in and save the masses from their evil capitalist ways. Uh, but that task wasn't going to be easy. There would be a lot of new learning that would need to be done, a lot in a lot of re-education for the masses and the people who would uh benefit the most from this great marxist manifesto would be anyone who worked or fought for the south vietnamese government former soldiers always got top-notch treatment when it came to getting the best in higher education and, and higher learning that the north vietnamese communists had to offer for many new quote-unquote students The first day of school wasn't so much voluntarily getting on the school bus and riding to class. It was more of a door-to-door black bag collection of former South Vietnamese soldiers who were usually ratted out by their scuzzy neighbors. Students would then get loaded into recently acquired army trucks and hauled off to their first prison camp. I mean, school. And that is, of course, if the AK-wielding caveman who rounded you up could even drive the vehicles that their new government had just stolen. I mean, liberated. <laughs> like, legit. These guys would get thrown on these trucks, and the, their VCs would be like, wouldn't know how to drive it, and would make one of the prisoners drive them. <gasps> really? Yeah, because they, they didn't know how to fucking drive the trucks. Yeah. <clears throat> As it, okay, so... Most of the new school's uh, faculty didn't have much experience with modern things like vehicles, plumbing, or electricity, due to the fact that they had been living their communist dream in the jungle for the past 20 years. Uh, some teachers even refused to use ceiling fans because they thought them to be some sort of torture device that was far too scary. Are you fucking serious? Swear to God. <laughs> like, they felt like they What did wa- they think they were going to do with them? Like, hang people off of them? A lot of them, when they got captured during the war... Then they were taken to a, a South Vietnamese prison camp, yep. like a POW camp, and it had fans in them. They walked in and saw these spinning blades and above their head. just assumed that yeah. that's what it was for. Yeah. Wow. Well, that says a lot about your mindset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These are real sharp folks here. That's like that Mark Lawrence book where they'd say, they'd say Christ on a bike. It's my mm-hmm. favorite curse because they didn't know what a bike was. So they thought they, <laughs> they, thought they tortured Jesus on this thing called <laughs> a bike. bike. Christ on a bike. Uh All right. Upon getting to their first school, students were forced to remove any gold or valuables and surrender them to the head principal for safekeeping, which they never saw again. Uh, And if a new student is found to be wearing those fancy intellectual capitalist viewing devices, better known as glasses, they would be taken by the teachers and smashed in front of the student. Jesus Christ. Yep. The school can't have any smart looking people walking around. Because everyone is equal in the eyes of Karl Marx, who wore a monocle for being able to see things better. But I digress. So. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? 
So wait, they still want them to learn shit though. Oh yeah. Do they take? Do they understand what glasses are, or do they think they're like they thought in you were league with you, the yeah, ceiling you, fans? They thought you were intelligent. You were like a smarty pants. So they, they thought they, glasses made you a smarter person. So it wasn't to help vision at all. It was no. a device you strapped to your head and like the Matrix, and you'd learn things better. They, I mean, technically, they you just do. associated people who wore glasses with. Smart, educated, capitalistic, intelligent people. Hmm. That's what they thought okay. people wore glasses were. So they would fucking take your glasses and smash Like them. a bully. Yeah. For, <laughs> so. <clears throat> huh. Yep. The newly hired teachers, who were mostly uneducated teenagers and bush people, would then lay out the ground rules after they smashed your glasses. All right. All right. So they'd lay out the ground rules for the new students. One, no running. Away from the school or you will be shot on sight. Two, no thinking or talking about running away from the school or you will be shot on sight. Three, you will learn every lesson and do every task you are asked of by your teachers or you will be shot on sight. Or, chained to a metal pipe that is too short to fully stand and too tall to fully sit. Kind of a disciplinary oh. sweet spot, if you will. Oof. So like a, like a squat, it's just like a horrible You're squat. squatting, Yeah. How do they know you're thinking about running? Exactly. That's the thing that I have to shoot anybody, everybody, because it's like when I say don't think of an elephant, and then you think of an elephant. Mm -hmm. So they say don't think about running, then they're all thinking about running, then they have to shoot everybody. Yeah. It was, they were just fucking idiots. Okay. So, and four, uh, you will fully accept communism into your life and reject all other forms of ideals. Or you just may get shot on sight. Kind of strict rules, but straightforward. Got me? Yeah, I can yeah, I get the okay. rules. So pretty much don't do anything or you'll get shot. Okay. <clears throat> All right. After orientation, students were then gingerly led to their new dorms. The new communist utopia offered only the best in housing and amenities. Usually a 15 by 20 foot room with one barely working toilet was shared between 100 prisoners. I mean students. And the bedding was a five star concrete floor. That is if you were lucky. Some of the labor camps, I, I mean vocational schools. You keep screwing that up. What? I should have. A, you do it one more time and I will shoot you. What did I keep uh, <laughs> saying? Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I do that a bunch. Okay. <laughs> it's a tongue-in-cheek story, okay? Oh, I just opened a seltzer water. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> Some of the labor camps, I mean vocational schools outside of town, offered organic bedding to the students. Some might call it a mud floor in an open-air iron bar hut, complete with snake holes and nonstop mosquitoes. That's pretty much oh, how those were. Oh, fucking snakes. Uh, <clears throat> as one student claimed, uh, concrete floors were the heaven of hell when it came to bedding. No shit. That's what they wanted was concrete floors. Yeah. It's good for your back. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> the restroom facilities at the vocational camps were also pretty great. They had a hand-dug water well, uh, complete with dirty water that needed boiling every time, and toilets that hovered over big pits that were full of bassa fish that loved to feed on human shit. <gasps> um, uh, so, yeah, that was their toilet. Mm, okay. They just got to poop on fish. Uh, after settling into their new digs, Students were then led to a makeshift classroom on campus where their education could begin. Re-education, I guess. Uh, lessons were taught by the brightest that the North Vietnamese had to offer. If a teacher... 
Oh, go ahead. Who's this fucking mouth breather? Uh -huh. If a teacher was capable of reading or writing, then they got the job. That was it. it. That, that was, was the it. only requirement. Pretty much. Hmm. Uh, students would be taught the lessons of Marx, Mao, and Lenin for hours upon hours, and then would be forced to write essays about themselves, admitting all the crimes they had committed against the Communist Party over the course of their lives. Uh, then that would be followed up with a rousing chorus lesson where students were forced to learn every communist propaganda song and be able to sing them at any moment. And if they didn't sing, they may get shot on sight. Uh, students here were taught using the same methods that people use to train dogs. Uh, for example, if you didn't clap with vigor when the teacher raised his hand after an inspiring lecture on Marxism, uh, there would be hell to pay. Like, teacher would raise their hand. And that meant you clap and cheer for the teacher. Really? Yeah. So to it's kind of like people on TikTok. To the no effort. It's about seven seconds. And yeah, then yeah. they get a whole bunch of they expect gratification. To the point there was one lecture they were sitting through. And the teacher swatted at a fly. And the <gasps> class started clapping. No shit. <laughs> they thought he was raising his hand. To yeah, fucking... but you see, that's the, the, the irony of that is that that would be something to clap about. You know how hard it is to hit a fly? So like, if they actually hit the fly, then everybody should clap about it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that, that's how you want to get taught. That's the only time they should have clapped. <laughs> it truly was a grand classroom experience for all. Um, <clears throat> once class time ended, students would be led to the mess hall, where they got their daily ration, I mean, hearty school lunch, consisting of one ounce of rice per meal. An ounce. Let me, or what the fuck? Are you serious? Yeah. I just... Breakfast, one ounce. Lunch, <gasps> one ounce. You might get, like... A fingernail-sized piece of meat. Oh, God. I'm doing this whole full, whole food 30-day thing right now, and I'm mm -hmm. not eating any bread, and it's it's pretty rough. Yeah, oh, yeah. Huh. Well, just head to a re-education camp. That'll get you thin quick. Jesus. H. Christ. Yeah. Uh, there was no pizza log or chicken nugget days here. Uh, and this is, of course, if the school's principal didn't sell off any extra rice to the locals as to line his pockets. So, like, your rations would just get fucking sold off. Um. If their daily ration of rice wasn't enough to keep them going, students could keep an eye on those snake holes in their dorms in hopes oh, that a no. giant snake might present itself so they could kill it by hand and cook it over an uh, old tin can fire. It's a good way to get them protein gains. Mm -mm. Uh, there was also the local delicacy of jungle rat that students could sample. I'd eat the rat before I'd eat the snake. I mean, I don't know what I'd do oh, if I no. was starving to death. No fear. Killed the fucking... They wanted food. They're, like, Ooh. hungry. How big are jungle rats? Big. Yeah. The one snake that got into their dorm, well, their fucking prison, uh, eight meters long. <gasps> yeah. <gasps> Wait a minute. Let me do math. I didn't finish school. Three times 24, eight. <laughs> 24 feet? Fucking huge. Oh, my and God. A lot of them were venomous, constrictors, like... Wait, they killed that one? They killed it. And they, I mean, you get good eating for yeah, a while. They, yeah, they cooked it up, and they, they all ate a fucking giant snake. Yeah. <sighs> so, after the prisoners, I mean students, got full bellies, they now had all the energy they needed to take part in the school's upcoming extracurricular activities. These activities including making their own shovels from jungle materials, so they could then dig prawn ponds that were hundreds of yards long, about like four feet deep. Um, let's see, they could. Is a prawn like a crayfish? It's like a shrimp crayfish okay. sort of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, they would farm them so the government could sell them and make uh, money. Okay. <clears throat> uh, farm local fields by hand, 
collect all those shit-eating basa fish so the school could sell them for profit. Uh, digging out tree stumps with glorified butter knives. Uh, building new barracks from jungle materials. Or getting sent into local cities to haul trash, clean storm drains, remove sewage, and do basic civic duties for free. Seeing as the new government didn't pay employees to do that kind of shit anymore. But why pay when you have slave labor? I mean, vocational students. Uh, workers of the world unite while being forced to work six days a week for 12 hours a day in labor camps for no pay. Am I right? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, if a student found themselves injured or ill, the school nurse wasn't available at all. Uh, if they were lucky, one of their classmates had some medical background and could assist other students in the sick bay. Uh, aspirin would be provided for uh, any medication, but that was about it. Nothing else. Uh, and if anyone needed antiseptic for a quick surgery, too bad. You didn't get any. Uh, tooth extractions, malaria treatment, drained knees, and boil removals could all be done in the nurse's office free of charge and free of painkillers by someone who might know what they're doing. Drained knees? Yeah. Like, like you got fluid? water on the knee. Oh, like in that game. Operation. Water mm -hmm. on the knee. Uh, Operation. Yeah. I don't remember the rest of it. Um, yeah, a whole bucket, see? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you could get your water on the knee extracted with no painkiller. Oh, my God. And hope the knife they were using was sterile. They would, like, boil water and boil the knife and water to sterilize right. it. But, yeah, a lot of times, the one time, <clears throat> I will say, with uh, they finally complained enough that they got a dentist to come in to, like, Why fix. are you doing air quotes? Using air quotes and a dentist. Quote, unquote, dentist. Oh, he's not a real dentist. So the, v the Viet Cong sent in a dentist to help all these prisoners because their teeth were fucking rotting because they had no oral hygiene. And this dude comes in, and the, the main guy in this book I was reading, he's like, he wanted to get this one tooth extracted. It was killing him. And his friend comes up, and he goes, hey, don't go to that guy. I know him. He's not a dentist. He's a pig farmer. <gasps> yeah. They brought in just a local farmer who had some tools. Dude was just ripping out teeth. Oh, my yeah. God. It's fucking gnarly. I think most dentists were pig farmers. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's this. Uh, <laughs> Wait, where are you getting that from? From Seinfeld. Oh, Jesus. Because it's that whole joke. Like, what do you call a, what do you another call, Seinfeld what do you, reference? What do you call a, what do you call a guy who couldn't, who failed at a medical school? Huh, a, a, a dentist. A dentist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay. Right now there's a six-figure dentist like, ah, yeah, funny. I know. I actually have to go get my teeth cleaned, so I should probably <laughs> shut the fuck up. All right. <clears throat> At this point, you might be asking yourself, how does a person actually graduate from the re-education camp? Well, depending on how well a student does at blindly agreeing with the communist ideology that was being forced on them and doing all the labor tasks they were asked to do, they were free to graduate. Most students could expect to spend about three to eight years in school. Uh, now, there are a few factors that might reduce or extend a student's stay. For example, if your family paid off the teachers, usually with several ounces of gold, you could graduate. Uh, if you became a narc for the teachers, uh, they would keep you around long enough to weed out all the troublemakers and then let you graduate. Uh, if you happen to be a higher-ranking officer in the South Vietnamese Army prior to going in, uh, then your stay might be extended by 10 to 12 years. Oh, that's not a good thing. Correct. They didn't like them. <clears throat> then, after that, you could graduate, though. So 
Uh, if you stole a sweet potato from one of the fields you were farming, forced to work in, uh, and got shot in the head, then you could graduate. Uh, if you starved to I death, see. you could graduate. Okay. Uh, if you got malaria and died, you could graduate. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, the Vietnamese communist re-education school system was truly a miracle in 20th century higher learning. You know, that's I mean, at least you got to give it to them. They're giving you different paths. You know, you're kind of you can yeah. cater it to yourself. Mostly most of them were really negative. OK. Yeah. But you, so. you got options. <clears throat> so that's the end of my tongue in cheek section. Uh, now, obviously, I was pretty, you know, cynical. and joking. I didn't get any of that. None of that. OK. No. Uh, about my whole story, but the reality of it was fucking terrible for these people. Uh, up to 200,000 prisoners were forced into these camps and would be shipped around from camp to camp. Uh, I think there was something like 173 camps scattered throughout Vietnam, like deep in the jungles. And they did this so their families couldn't find them because families would show up and they were allowed to bring some food and some blankets and stuff like that. But if they didn't know where you're at, like you ain't getting shit. Um, let's see, I was going to tell you the book I read, uh, it was called The Dark Journey from, I'm going to butcher this, but Ho Min Trong, uh, who was a former intelligence officer that spent almost six years getting sent between eight different re-education and labor Oh, he camps. was there. Yeah, that's oh, where I got fuck. all this info from. Uh, so he got to see all of it. He went in, he was in his 20s, and he, like, lost, you know, all of his 20s. Wow. Because he was in labor camps. Um, while there, he contracted uh, malaria, but he didn't die. Uh, forced to do all the terrible work, deal with all the terrible shit. Um, he got reprimanded once, I think, and beat for changing one lyric in one of the chorus songs he was singing. And uh, they fucking kicked his ass. He did it on accident? He did it on purpose. Oh, okay. Uh you find this hard to believe, but he's not a big fan of the communists. No, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, upon his release, he was still in on probation. He was going to be on probation for years. Every week he had to go check in with the police. Um, he wasn't allowed to work, which made no fucking sense. Um, so he had to, and his, his mom was fine with this, he had to abandon his mom, who he had to live with, in Vietnam, and... Him and a handful of other people got on boats and just fucking took off into the ocean. They lucked out. They hit a, uh, they came across like an oil freighter after mm-hmm. Thailand pirates uh, hit them. No shit. Yeah, took all their wow. shit. Wow. Um, but they, they hit a uh, oil company, rescued them, took them to Australia, get, got citizenship, and he's been living in Australia since the 80s where he started a new life. Um, wow. But it was, you know, truly terrible. All the shit he dealt with. It was tough, the book, because, like, his English wasn't that great. You could tell. It was kind of scattered, but, you know, piece of the part. Did he write it in English, he, or, or he, was it tra- – did he wrote it in – It translated. got translated. Okay. Yeah, because they even talk about it in the one um, chapter on how he started writing that, I think, in 1984 and didn't put it out till like, 2009 because he wanted to get all the all the information in it, and he added to it and changed it and stuff as far as as world events happened since then. And he's been a big supporter of getting people out of Vietnam. So, and his mom, like, she knew, like, he's got to escape. He's going to be under watch for the rest of his life. Uh, She didn't get to see him for 20 years until she got to leave to go see another sibling in, I think, the U.K. 
and because he was living in Australia, he got to go to see his mom. It was 20 years. And did she go back to Vietnam? Yeah, yeah, because she lived there. Oh, can you imagine that reunion? Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it was terrible, but... uh, Wow. I mean, I watched, like, the... Oh, I tell you, like, fucking spent that whole day watching, like, army people come back and get reunions, like, from their dogs that they didn't see in the year. So I can't imagine that's it. (laughs) Yeah, getting that one. Oh, my God. That's wild. Oh, it was terrible. But yeah, I was, I wanted to take a different angle as far as how to convey what one of those schools was like. Real, I, uh, real cool place. Um, I'm, I'm glad you did that. Cause actually I was going to, I thought about doing re-education stuff. Oh, really? I, but like, oh, um, but like native re-education. Oh, okay. Like in the U S and yep. specifically in Canada, like all those schools, like the, oh yeah, yeah. Where they fucking murdered like they've they're still finding mass graves wait in canada are you yeah. kidding me are you sure yeah well i mean it happened here <laughs> yeah. too but like oh i know yeah yeah these schools that they, it was very similar where mm-hmm. they try and like steal these trail kids tears from, stuff yeah, and, yeah it's fucking horrible jesus christ yep but uh no that was good core no oh, thank you wow so that was uh I'm bummed <laughs> sorry the one thing I did get from that that was kind of fun was you said that they had a poor direction at one point, which just immediately made me think of a One Direction cover band that's all Vietnamese called Poor Direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, <clears throat> this dude he was he was pissed when I when I said Poor Direction because he was like I said he was an intelligence officer. They had the means to hold back the North Vietnamese at the line, but because the government got uh it did it got like infiltrated and corrupted by communists that they were just like oh yeah this will be fine and they surrendered essentially he's like we could have fucking hauled him back like north and south korea did so it could have been like that to this day but nope commie so, bastards oh yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. better better dead than red right <laughs> yeah isn't that from uh what's it that's a netflix thing <clears throat> i don't know anyway that wow. was very good yeah, thank you. Wow, we're we're pretty good uh, time frame. Yeah, this into this. nice job. Yeah. Well, mine's gonna be really fucking long. I will try not. To, <laughs> I'll try not so don't to be bother upset. you. Okay. Okay. I think you'll enjoy it. All Are right. you good? I'm all set. Yeah, that's all I got on. Okay. That well, one. luckily, mine, like it's actually this is. I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, it might not follow our template exactly because it's not supposed to be fun, but uh, it is at a school. So it's re-education. Re-education. It's, it's education. It's higher education. Higher yeah, education. It takes place at a school. Okay. So let me see if I can get this set up right. Get into it. All right, let me get my glasses on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to fucking smash those off your face. Why? Oh, because of the bully thing. <laughs> you look smart. I, You know, I don't... Do I look smart in these? Uh, sure. I think I look kind of hip. Yeah, okay. They're pretty hip glasses. Yeah, potato, tomato on that one. Anyway, um, <laughs> so mine actually has a title. <laughs> okay, let's hear um, <laughs> The title of this one is... Uh, the tragedy of the Harvard alumni is that they've only executed two of you. Oh, wow. I know that's harsh. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is harsh. Uh, um, are you okay? I'm just clearing my throat. Sorry. Typically, yeah, I'm sorry. That was a little mean. But typically when someone attacks an institution with that sort of vehemence, it's because they feel left out. And as someone who will only ever go to Harvard as a tourist, I very much fall into this bitter category. Uh, Ready proof of this being that my knee-jerk reaction when I think of Cambridge is, hey, that's where the car talk guys are from. 
Well, <laughs> though Tom and Ray or Click and Clack may have earned and still retain their spotless reputation, the same cannot be said for those. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The same cannot be said for their close Cambridge neighbor. On top of its already heavy crimes of being founded by Puritans and churning out generations of uppity shits that have arguably done more harm than good, Harvard has an especially dark past besmirched by scandal after scandal and a foundation literally filled with skeletons. Like Skull and Bones, that movie? Well, I want to get into Skull and Bones a little bit later okay. on. Or uh, the Skulls or whatever the fuck that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, Skull and Bones yeah. is Yale. Um yeah, so today, with minimal distraction, we'll be focusing on, as best I can, just one of those skeletons, or at least parts of the one skeleton. I'm still unclear as to whether or not they ended up finding all of him. But anyways, put on your true crime hats, grab a handful of pipe tobacco and some shoddy wooden dentures. We're heading back to 1849 for one of the most celebrated crimes of the 19th century, the murder of Dr. George Parkman on the very grounds of Harvard University. Yeah, woo, murder, celebrate. Yes. Well, I'll just be honest right <laughs> said now. said to celebrate. I'm confused. <laughs> well, that's probably a bad way to put that. Yeah. Um, also, this just really devolved into me just kind of talking about Boston and Harvard for the whole time. So, like, the first half is just about Harvard, and the second half is a true crime thing. Okay. But it's fun. Well, we'll let you get your Boston-Harvard bashing out of the way. So. It's not that bad. Okay. Part one. Boston. I did it parts because oh. I thought it would be easier to actually like pay attention. Okay. So part one, Boston. Now, I've never been to nor seen Harvard University. I have been to Boston twice. Once as a young man where I remember seeing those bronze ducks that everybody gets all excited about and driving by the real-life cheers. My next trip saw me a bit older. I've told you about this. Um, but still lacking in significant memories. I recall buying an OK Go album in a basement record shop somewhere, and I have a horrifyingly vivid memory of my friend's mom, who drove us to Boston, hitting a dog on the expressway with her van on the way home. Yeah. I think I remember. Oh, okay. yes. All right, yeah, This yeah. is one of the most traumatic images I've ever had burned into my skull. One made even worse by her concerning, like, yeah, concerning lack of apparent remorse at having accidentally killed a dog uh speaking of which Oopsies. yes uh wow. speaking of which can you tell me who else showed a shocking lack of remorse in the face of tragedy uh, i don't know there's a lot of people the man who murdered dr george parkman I, that's <laughs> i'm sure though to be clear i'm not suggesting that my friend's mom is a murderer She's a perfectly nice lady, and unless she has superhuman sense of timing, uh, the vehicular dog slaughter was most likely not premeditated. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's what I personally know about Boston. Best in habit. I'm not even doing an accent. Okay. I was going to try to. I just didn't have the time to work on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Boston and Cambridge of 1849 were, of course, wildly different. Personal motor vehicles were unheard of, and if you wanted to kill a dog, then you needed a horse to properly do so. But the Boston of 1849 was a city that was quickly evolving. Up until then, Boston and Cambridge were two close neighbors that could seem worlds apart. To travel between the two would require a very long walk, the luxury of a carriage, or a sometimes hours-long wait for a horse-drawn omnibus. This all changed. <laughs> okay. This all changed in 1849, as it was the inaugural year of a railway that ran trains regularly between the two cities. And... and <laughs> I'm backing away from the microphone. Uh -huh. Add to this the invention of anesthesia, the broadening use of forensic science in the medical fields and in the courts, and underground plumbing uh, supplying water to like individual homes, and Boston saw herself sitting pretty on the precipice of the future. Quick note, indoor plumbing thing is amazing. 
this is also around the invention of like the home garden hose. Yeah. People of Boston went nuts. Over garden hoses. Just sprayed the sidewalks day and night. Loved it. Okay. Into the winter. They turned Boston into like an ice rink. Roads, oh. sidewalks, covered in ice. Really? They were just thrilled at using a hose. Huh. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. But anyway, <clears throat> on to part two. Okay. Harvard. Now, Harvard itself in the mid-19th century was an eclectic university. At times struggling to eclectic keep- Eclectic or ec neglected? Ec eclectic. 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 Okay. Eclectic. Yes, it was an eclectic university. <laughs> at times struggling to keep hold of her Puritan roots while simultaneously acting as a beacon of scientific progress. The people making up this strange amalgamation, the students and the professors, could have been mistaken for a who's who list of Boston society. Were one to comb through the list of names in the incoming class of 1849, you'd see families that are still relevant to this day. This class in particular saw both a grandson and a great-grandson of Paul Revere. Oh, wow. So it's pretty wild. Um, so, anyway, of course, uh, before officially joining the ranks of the incoming class, applicants were put through a grueling two-day marathon of entrance exams in the middle of July, the hottest week of the year in Cambridge. From what I've gathered, the question of your admittance to Harvard depended almost entirely on how much Latin and Greek you knew, which is just so strange. Yeah, I, I never got that. I, no. I hear about like older older people still talk about having to take Latin in school. Fucked up. I think the yeah. only American now that knows Latin is Mel Gibson. <laughs> um, he's not American. Oh, he's fucking Australian too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, they're taking all our acting jobs. Um, <laughs> Those damn Hemsworths. So, yeah, I mean, it was pretty much like, yeah, what you knew as far as Latin and Greek. Uh, by the second day, the herd of applicants had been properly thinned, and those that remained by the end of that day's exams made up what would eventually be the graduating class of 1853. Once the entrance exams were done, and the class of 53 was welcomed through the doors of Harvard, it became quickly apparent that, in spite of all the Latin and Greek nonsense, and the daily required 5 a.m. prayers, this was still a campus full of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Studies were taken seriously, but outside of the classrooms, things could get downright rowdy. Yeah. Honestly, it's just like it's one of those times I would have loved to go for a day. But it smelled you know? terrible. Just, oh, I'm sure it's all these unwashed fucks. Because <laughs> even mean, if teenagers... you have money, you still stink. Yeah, fucking teenagers stink as mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, imagine the 1800s. And these guys didn't think they stunk. Oh, yeah. I got the pantaloons, old stinky boners running around. <laughs> well, there weren't any girls there. So, well, so they were. <laughs> I'm sure those boys were all having sex with each other. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, they, they took uh, their lessons seriously. But, yeah, things got a little rowdy mm -hmm. outside of classrooms. Yeah. Um, for example, the universally hated morning communal breakfast. A daily event that somehow was even more despised than the 5 a.m. prayers. I'm still not sure why. Out-and-out -out rioting was so commonplace that these meals, that the tables had to be bolted to the floor to prevent students from hoisting them up and hurling them across the room. That happened so often they had to bolt them to the floor. So it was a fucking WWE match? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, TLC, tables, ladders, and chairs. <laughs> Fuck TLC. Oh, that was good. Oh, yeah. that's a, the table, yeah. ladders, and chairs match. I just, the TLC channel just bothered Oh, the me. learning channel? Yeah. yeah. But anyway... <laughs> Student antics weren't only limited to the dining hall. Fights, drinking, carousing, and pranks were commonplace as well, including the almost nightly practice of rolling bowling balls down the stairwells of the dorms, ensuring not a moment's peace for students desperate for a little sleep before another morning of mandatory prayer. Hmm. All this was nothing compared to the clubs, though. Oh, God, the clubs. 
Yeah. I, like, it occurred to me during this, I could have done a whole show on just the, just the clubs. Just Harvard's like... like it's uh, incredible. Okay. So student clubs are a staple of colleges the world over today. Mm-hmm. And it was no different a couple hundred years ago. Ivy League universities in particular were infamous for their various student-run clubs and societies. Here's just a few of my favorites that would have been around in 1849. Mm-hmm. The Navy Club is fucking hilarious. I don't want to get too into it. It would take too long. Look up the Navy Club. It's wonderful. All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but there was also the very short-lived, quote, society to discourage the perpetration of crimes didn't last real long. They wanted law and order around. Uh <laughs> And even what was essentially a 19th century sketch comedy group called the, quote, Hasty Pudding Club. But the favorite by far, and the one most relevant to today's story, has to be the Davies Society. The Davies Society was spearheaded by Harvard's then chemistry professor, Professor Dr. John White Webster. If you hear the word society and get the idea in your head that this group had some sort of like lofty ideals, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop you right there. More or less, the entire purpose of the Davies Society was to prepare for and then participate in what they called the annual frolic. The annual frolic saw Dr. Webster and his students cooking up an alarming amount of laughing gas in Webster's lab at the medical college building, then taking said laughing gas out onto the common and inhaling it as a group with their teacher and getting high as fucking balls in the middle of the day. Hey, you know, I mean, laughing gas or meth. Whatever you got to cook. There was a lot of drugs around at the time. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they got into laughing gas. Did you touch on anything in your research about the Harvard Lampoon? I don't think so. Oh, man. You, no, never, wa- you never watched the National Lampoon documentary, did you? No. It's my, fucking great. I, got some, I digress. Tell me Go afterward, because I got some other ones, too. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, they just fucking got high on laughing gas. Mm-hmm. There was one episode, however, where the Davies Society had a chance to shine. They managed to save the life of one of two Harvard servants from carbon monoxide poisoning. Though in their haste to save a life, they endangered the lives of dozens of others as the group, quote, frantically cooked up bladders with pure oxygen to revive them. The people, you know. Yeah. Um, stoking the club's furnace so wildly that it briefly set Massachusetts, Massachusetts Hall on fire. <laughs> in 19th century Boston, fire was an ever-present terror that could spell mm-hmm. doom in an instant. But among the Davy Society, something even more monstrous might have been lurking. A murderer. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Part three. We're moving on to the medical college. Okay. section of Harvard. All right. In 1849, there were two ways that one could get into Harvard. The first was to pass the entrance exams. The other far less expensive way was to die. Unless yeah. you're <laughs> Unless you were a woman. Then you really only had the one choice. You had to die. To Body get farm boys. That's right. Yeah. See, to students and professors studying at the New Medical Sciences Building, fresh cadavers were the currency of the day. By 1849, the medical field, particularly internal medicine, had seen itself propelled forward by leaps and bounds due mostly to the discovery of surgical ether in 1846. Let's remember that before this time, anesthesia did not exist. Meaning that the bloody business of surgery was one of screaming madness that saw patients fully awake and entirely aware of everything that was happening to them. Surgical ether was a game changer, but for the students new to the field, the dissection of fresh corpses was still the safest bet all around to learn the trade. Enter the newly built Medical College at Harvard. The Medical College was erected the same year that surgical ether turned the medical world on its head, 1846. The building. 
No. Wait. <laughs> but no, yeah, they haven't. Oh, yeah. They did lobotomies up until. I'm sure. The 50s. 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, the building was built on land donated by Harvard alumnus Dr. George Parkman that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, who I promise is going to die very soon. <laughs> We're getting to We're the getting, murder. He's going to die. <laughs> I promise the murder's coming. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> the dragons are coming. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I never finished Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but before he does, it's important to understand that in 1849, the medical college was stuffed to the brim with corpses. And though the murder of Dr. George Parkman will see us focusing mostly on Dr. Webster's chemistry lab, spoiler, um, the lab sat adjacent to the college's dissecting room on the lowest floor. And if there's one thing that a dissecting room needs to justify its existence, it's bodies, a commodity that Boston was happy to provide. Because you got paid, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this got me down a hole. I barely managed to just not get into it here. Get into body snatching. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Like, lots of people were dying in and around Boston in the mid-19th century. And like the Native Americans of yore using the entirety of a felled bison, New England entrepreneurs just couldn't see the sense in letting a perfectly good human corpse go to waste. The medical college at Harvard needed bodies, and where they came from was mostly a little concern. Sometimes she lucked out, and some hapless citizen would get brained by a passing horse on the West Boston Bridge. This meant just a short drag to the basement of the medical college would see this poor bastard being gleefully carved up by well-to-do teenagers in a matter of hours. Hmm. However, fresh meat. <laughs> get him before Wait, the rigor sets flash in. Meat? Fresh meat? Oh, fl- yeah, fresh. Yeah, fresh meat. Right, flash get, freezing. Get him before the rigor sets in. <laughs> However, uh, when folks weren't conveniently dying just outside the doors of the school— professors had to turn elsewhere for their unwitting subjects. The black market cadaver trade, through a pessimistic lens, could be seen as opportunistic cannibalism at its most depraved. But let's face it, this is America, and where there's a need, there's going to be someone, or in this case, lots of someones, Mm -hmm. that are willing to make a profit on that need. Supply and demand. That's right. And it wasn't just here in America, but the world over, that saw instances of body snatching, grave robbing, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was largely universities, Harvard included, that fueled this trade. This was a bit of a gray area, legally speaking. Um, <laughs> even though Boston cemeteries were literally running out of room to bury her dead, the delicate sensibilities of the local Irish Catholic population made corpse retrieval a bit of a challenge for the medical college. Seeing professors having to pay top dollar for black market bodies discreetly retrieved from Boston herself or shipped up from Manhattan. One of these shady deals in particular had seen Harvard embroiled in a recent scandal. In 1848, Ephraim Littlefield, the medical college's live-in janitor, produced the very fresh corpse of the recently dead Sarah Sarah Ferber from Dr. James McNabb. After bringing her back to the medical college, um, her death, her, her cause of death, was quickly uncovered, a botched abortion by McDab himself. Oof. Yeah. The professors refused to pay for the body, and McDab tried paying off Littlefield to disappear the corpse. Uh, Littlefield did take the money, but by then it was too late. Mm-hmm. The police had been called in to report the shoddy work of Dr. McNab and hopefully prevent any further deaths of young ladies desperate enough to seek his help. Though admirable, these efforts saw both Littlefield and Harvard professors Holmes and Ainsworth in court and painted the public opinion of the college as a den of ghouls and body snatchers. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a, yeah, yeah. There's a good Boston yeah, accent. Yeah. They're all fucking <laughs> monsters there. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Sorry, I needed a drink. Um, Going forward from this scandal, Harvard had to make every effort to tread lightly, especially in the area of or in, yeah, in the area of corpse retrieval, lest her reputation become even further stained. But despite her best efforts, the following year would see the Ivy League school's reputation not only stained once more, but utterly drenched in blood. Blood stains. Part four. Shit stains. The BVD. <laughs> BVDs covered in shit. Shit stain. BVDs. Whitey, tidy whities The BVDs. Why do they call them BVDs? I think it was a brand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Part four. The murder of Dr. Park, Dr. George Parkman. Finally. Um, on the 23rd of November, 1849, Dr. George Parkman, Harvard grad, real estate tycoon, and just all-around super rich dude that looks strikingly like a large bird, left his house after breakfast to make his daily rounds. Collect- fucking cookie monster, wasn't it? He looks i'll show you a picture afterward okay he looks like a bird bird uh <laughs> he looks like like d kind of okay you know when they call yeah, it a bird. bird yeah so anyway he's making his daily rounds this was it november 23rd collecting rents around the city but that if by that afternoon though he'd never be seen in one piece again but before all this all of that nasty business the doctor was seen and recognized quite a lot by all sorts of folks rich and poor Mm-hmm. The good doctor was a walker, and even in the height of the winter season, refusing horse, carriage, or omnibus. Mall walker in the winter. Yes, he would have been a mall walker. All right. <laughs> Wherever he needed to be, he felt perfectly capable of getting there himself, except for this day, which saw him ushered to his final destination with a little help from an old friend. Hmm. Now, here in this final stretch, the part of the story that I intended to get to about a thousand words ago, I'm going to do my best to stick to only what we need to know. So here we go. Okay. That's it. On that day, November 23rd, 1849, Dr. Parkman ran his daily errands, finishing with a stop at a local grocer. After this, he was last seen alive at around 1.30 that afternoon on the steps of the Harvard Medical College. Parkman's wife was concerned when the doctor didn't show up for his 2 o'clock dinner, which seems really for dinner, but I guess he's old. Yeah. I don't know. Old people used to call lunch supper. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. I eat at 8, usually dinner, right before bed. 536. I'm an old person. Anyway, he didn't show up for dinner. <laughs> right before bed. And her her concern only grew when he still hadn't returned home before dark. Um, a history of what sounds like dementia ran in Parkman's family. And the initial concern was that the aging doctor had wandered off, maybe even making it outside the city and into the forest nearby. The family was leery of the law and waited till the next day, Saturday, before reporting the disappearance to the police. On Saturday morning, the city marshal, Francis Tukey, which I keep writing as turkey. It's Tukey. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's another Boston accent. Here, <laughs> here comes. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're going. Afficit turkey. <laughs> that's how we go into a wall burgers and just like, oh, but cheeseburger. <laughs> it's like, oh, but turkey burger. <laughs> anyway, so this is the city marshal, Francis Tukey. Uh, that Saturday morning, uh, he readied officers for a citywide search, but held off until Sunday at the behest of Parkman's family, who wanted to keep things as hush-hush as possible. But when the search began the following day, it touched off a media circus that would last for months, forever changing everything from the newspaper industry, the courts, the police force, Boston, and especially Harvard. After news began to spread of, doctor, of the doctor's disappearance, Littlefield, the janitor at the medical college, came forward to Dr. John Webster, the chemistry professor, 
and admitted to having seen Dr. Parkman on the steps of the medical college at 1.30 that past Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Webster then responded by telling Littlefield that he had also seen Dr. Parkman that day. In fact, it had been Webster himself that Dr. Parkman had been visiting that day at the medical college. George Parkman had an appointment with Webster to collect an outstanding debt that he'd loaned the chemistry prof professor. Mm -hmm. Webster claimed that he'd paid the debt and that Dr. Parkman then left with the intention of continuing on to his bank to deposit the money. I killed his bookie. Here it gets, uh -huh. it gets into it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, <laughs> when light was first shown on the fact that Webster was the last person to definitively see Parkman alive, there was very little initial suspicion. The chemistry professor was a soft, bookish, and slightly aloof man. Um, add to this that he was a part huffing fucking gas well, all yeah, day. Well, yeah, he was just laughing gas with his students all day. Um, nitrous bombs. <laughs> some of the shit, I'll get into it a little bit at the end, that he got up to is just, it's, it's like a professor from Hogwarts. But it's just, <laughs> it's great. Um, but add to this that he was a Harvard professor of high standing, and he was more or less beyond reproach. Webster acted not the least bit guilty and followed the case as it progressed with as much interest and enthusiasm as anyone else, spiritedly bringing up the subject whenever given the opportunity. Though certain actions the uh, professor took over the next couple of days began to make one man in particular grow more and more suspicious, the janitor Ephraim Littlefield. As I mentioned earlier, Littlefield lived with his family in the medical college building itself. Mm -hmm. Beyond his janitorial duties... Littlefield was often employed by the various medical professors as more or less a morbid errand boy. Hmm. Um, he'd be out like collecting various necessities ranging from lab equipment, minerals, acids, blood samples, and yes, even dead bodies. Littlefield was privy to all that went on in the medical college and had access to every nook and cranny. He was expected to keep rooms clean, furnaces stoked, and whatever else you can picture a 19th century janitor doing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so when Dr. Webster began to suddenly lock the door to his office and lab, hmm. Littlefield became concerned. Concerned that was greatly exacerbated when Webster left the medical building after stoking his furnace to such a high heat that the stone walls at the entrance hall were hot to the touch, the building itself nearly catching on fire. This, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a big. It was a big clue. Um, <clears throat> this was the last straw for Littlefield. With the building empty, he broke into Webster's lab to take a look around. A cursory search by police earlier that week had turned up nothing suspicious, but Littlefield was now looking closer. He noticed stains in the floor, and even more worrying, the door to the professor's privy was locked. He didn't have a key to that, I guess. But okay. it makes sense. It's a bathroom. Yeah, uh, yeah. Janitors don't need to clean bathrooms. No, they don't poop either. <laughs> It's because there's usually two of them. They're sewn together at the butt. <laughs> and they're shitting on boss of fish. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, he noticed this is doors locked. There's stains. Yeah. Um, Shady shit. So, as the city of Boston continued the search for Parkman in the streets outside and dragging the river below, Littlefield had a hunch that he knew exactly where Parkman was, or at least whatever was left of him. Now, the privy was not the most disturbing thing lying beneath the floor of the lab. Also below Littlefield's feet was the infamous vault, the vault being a copper and glass-lined brick structure used to store all the used-up corpses and body parts that students in the dissecting room had no further use for. Yummy. Uh, some of the antics they got into trying to fish body parts back out was just fucking priceless. Ugh. That they didn't mean to dump down there. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, to access the outside of both the vault and the privy were one-to-one. 
to do so uh, would require crawling through 60 feet of pitch black crawl space at low tide, mostly on one's stomach. Not wanting to raise suspicion from Dr. Webster, this is exactly what Littlefield did. Ugh. Over the course of a couple days, with a crowbar and hammer and his wife acting as lookout, Littlefield chipped away at the brick wall of the privy from underneath the lab. After much effort, Littlefield, covered in sweat, mud, and brick dust, finally broke through the wall. He lifted his lantern and shone it in through the crack. What he saw was far more horrifying than the turds of a Harvard chemistry professor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yes. This is the last part. Part five, the arrest and trial of Dr. John White Webster. On Littlefield's next ascent into the crawl space, he was accompanied by several police officers. And as they all gathered in the light of a lantern, peering through the crack in the privy wall at, you guessed it, mm-hmm. <laughs> the remains of Dr. George Barkman. <laughs> really? Yes. Who would have thought? But as they're looking through this crack, all of them together down there, who should arrive above them in the lab? Hmm. Dr. Webster himself. Who, as Littlefield quickly whispered to the officers, had several guns stowed away throughout the lab. <laughs> the group quietly waited for Webster's put footsteps to recede before crawling back out of the mud, not wanting to spook the man and all be shot, then left in the crawl space to wait for the tide. For this is like something him. out of a movie because like, it's literally eight fucking cops in this janitor <laughs> with candles yeah. looking at a body in and a the shit guy tank. who killed him is above them creaking. Yeah. They can hear him walking and they're oh, just wow. like, shh, be quiet. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's just wild. Um, Anyway, <laughs> here's some interesting things that were found in Dr. Webster's lab. In the privy, a right calf, a right thigh, and a pelvis. In a large ornate tea chest, a human torso that had been <laughs> hollowed out and had a left thigh stuffed inside of it. Ugh. And in the furnace, human teeth that were later identified in court by Dr. Parkman's dentist uh, as belonging to the late doctor. And this is cool. It's actually one of the first times they ever used dental records in a case. Oh, really? Court case, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There are a lot of firsts in this. Um, Webster was arrested that night. Thanksgiving, nonetheless. Though I doubt he was feeling oh, very officer thankful. officer turkey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't even think about it. He just like, he knocks at the door and just like, hello. It's like, you've, what do you mean? <laughs> you've gobbled your last goal. <laughs> uh, I never uh, made that connection. Uh, I doubt great. he was feeling very thankful, though. Yeah. Um, when presented with the murder charge, Webster's priceless, this is real, Webster's priceless reaction was what I can only describe as the Mad Magazine defense, with Webster being quoted as exclaiming, quote, what? Me? <laughs> I, I died when never. I read that. It's like, whatever do you mean, <laughs> Mr. Turkey? <laughs> I would never. <laughs> I guess you got me dead to rights. Oh, my God. His physical reaction was even stranger. He began to blubber and sob, then went completely limp. Then his whole body went stiff as a board, and he had to be carried and stuffed sideways into a cab. What? Yes. It was at the time viewed as the reaction of a coward, but later it was revealed that it was the reaction to strychnine. Strychnine? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, secretly taken during the arrest in an unsuccessful attempt at suicide. Okay, yeah. Which I guess could also be viewed as the reaction of a coward. Yeah. Oh, yeah, agreed. <laughs> but either way, it wasn't enough to kill the man, so he was put on suicide watch until his trial. The long and short of the rest of the story is this. 
The trial was an absolute circus. The lead-up to the trial was a miraculous boon to the newspaper industry. Oh, yeah. And both Boston and Cambridge were a population divided into those that believed in Webster's guilt and those that did not. The, the her riots, murders, most of which went unsolved because everybody was just focusing on this, Ugh. and homes divided. Yeah. If you were looking for a list of nominees for, like, trial of the century, the murder of Dr. Parkman would have been the front runner. That's pretty wild. It is. The trial itself makes up half of the main book I used for this story, but we just don't have that kind of time. So, no. A great scandal was made of Webster never losing his appetite through this prison time and during the trial. Uh, Webster himself put all of his effort into blaming the murder on the poor janitor, Littlefield. Yeah, who found the body and did yeah. all the legwork. <laughs> <And>, yep. <laughs> uh, and the Irish community seemed pretty thrilled all around when Webster was found guilty. As up until his arrest, everybody had pretty much just decided that it was an Irishman that must have done it. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, Bunch of haters. Yes. They were the scapegoats at the time. Webster was found guilty, if I didn't make that clear, and was sentenced to hang for his crime. There were no degrees of murder in Massachusetts at the time, only murder. Mm -hmm. um, and the sentence for the charge of murder was death. His hanging was just as much of an event as his trial. The entire city showed up for the execution of Dr. John Webster. With residents near the scaffold selling window space to spectators or renting out the rooftop space for the event. It was a big to-do back in the oh, day. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and finally, on August 30th, 1850, Webster dropped eight feet with a rope around his neck, a neck that promptly snapped from the weight of the soft man as the thousands that showed up to watch him die looked on. Harvard eventually recovered from this scandal. <laughs> Never heard of the school at yeah, all. Swear. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, believe it or not, they made it. <laughs> They're doing good. Yeah, Harvard eventually uh, recovered from this scandal to end all scandals. But it took a while. I bet. When your new medical college is already seen by the public as a den of body snatchers and grave robbers, having one of your best known professors hang for murdering and butchering a pillar of the community just isn't a great look. Um, lessons were learned from the Webster Parkman affair. Laws were changed. The news industry changed. Courts were never the same. But there's one constant that this case proved, and that still holds true to this day. That is? When someone is murdered, it was most likely an Irishman that did it. Uh, or in, or in some go. cases, yeah. a chemistry, chemistry professor. <laughs> <laughs> so look out for all the Irish chemistry professors out there. Chemistry is the only class I had to go to summer school for. Uh, I didn't even make it. <laughs> she had a very nice chemistry teacher. But she, yeah. the, the floor, I just remember from chemistry, the floor was slanted, and so her chair would always roll back very slowly. She'd have to reach out. She had very short arms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all I wrote. Oh, that was great. I didn't know anything about that. I think- That would like, be a great film. If, if I know. Adaptation. I, yeah. Dude, I left so much. That is just the cliff notes. Mm -hmm. There's so many, like I'd be reading this book. So the book I used for most of it, here, hang on. Paul Collins was the author. He said, Blood and Ivy, the 1849 murder that scandalized Harvard. And it was so much fun. Oh, that's good. Did you get it from the library? I did. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just like, there was so much. Like, I didn't even get into like, I mean, he did it. He definitely did it. Yeah. It was a money thing. He uh, lost all of his money. Bookie. And he kept borrowing money. Uh -huh. So like, um, he, he it's weird. He kept putting up the same chest of drawers as collateral to, like, three different people in exchange for loans. I guess they like chest of drawers. Oh, the furniture is big bucks. Yeah. Like, so one of them was Dr. George Parkman, ah. who they'd been friends since they were, like, young. Yeah. 
Um, and he found out that he'd actually put it up as collateral to two other guys. Yeah, so he, he went to confront to people. Him. Okay. So like, um, uh, Webster claimed that like, uh, fucking Parkman kind of went after him, like yelling at him mm-hmm. and he had his hand on like a, I think it was a table leg. Yeah. And he just without thinking swung and hit him right in the head. He's an old man. Yeah. Supposedly dropped fucking dead. Wow. So he panicked, carved him to pieces, threw him in the shitter, but like it was burn such him a- up. Like the search, the best story was there was the people were just coming in with clues, red herrings everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But there's one Harvard professor who's at his desk in the winter, that winter. Yeah. And this ten year old boy comes inside and he has a severed finger in his hand. He's just like, Oh look, sir, I found this out in the ice. <laughs> and the Harvard professor's like, All right, let's see it. And he goes to another guy and like they're like, It's gotta be Dr. George Parkman's <laughs> finger. They threw it out the window. And then this other professor is just going by as they're about to like get in a like a horse buggy or whatever, go yeah. to the police. He's like, Oh, you found my finger. <laughs> Dude lost, just randomly lost. He's like, no, he's like, I'm buried in the bank by the river to see what it would do, like in the ice, if it would decompose. Oh, wow. fucking awesome. Oh, my God. But, like, the same time, like, this is when Phineas Gage was a guest at Harvard, the guy that got the rod through his head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he was there. Um, There's all these poets, like, Henry Longfellow was involved. Charles Dickens followed it. Like. They like this was like a time of phrenology, so like they get into phrenology, like mm-hmm. like the shape of people's heads. It was just absolutely wild. The case, just wild. Yeah, this was so. This was like the eighteen uh, hundreds OJ trial. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yep. fanfare and all that of it. Well, I mean, it was just like there's, there was people getting murdered the whole fucking time. <laughs> He's riding away on a white bronco. <laughs> <laughs> At a slow, a slow pace. He's on a white Bronco. Sir, hey, sir pull sir. it over. <laughs> I don't think he could get on a horse. Uh, he's a little old. No, I, no, he's just like this, yeah, just this yeah, kind of soft sniveling He looks like a, like a Harvard chemistry professor. Okay. Picture who From the think 1800s? they would look like in 1849. Yeah. That's what he looked like. Oh, that's good. That was a good story. I, I've been educated about some devious educators. We've learned a lot today. Yes, we have. We hope you all have learned a lot today and enjoyed our episode on education, higher learning, whatever you want to call it. You know so, what I wanted to do? Huh? Uh, we, like, we're probably already overlong. No, we're I good. was 100%. You said skull and bones. Yeah. I was 100% going to do Fraternity. a skull and bones, or like, a, well, I was going to do a skull and bones thing or like secret mm-hmm. societies thing. But doing some reading, like, I even found a couple books on skull and bones. It's so you could have done it ten years ago, yeah. but it's so steeped in like the people involved. Like it gets very conspiratorial. You oh know? yeah, and without getting it's been too overdone. In, well, not no. It's a certain group that starts with Q and ends with moron. Fucking ruined <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> theories for everybody. So mm. I like I'm not getting it. I can't. I can't get into uh, it. So I I ditched that. Uh, conspiracy theories are fun. I guess they are fun. Except people, except in the future ooh. when a lot of them like become true <laughs> that's well, always and, like and, but a lot of times with that stuff too is like everyone wants to go on these fucking wild crazy things these turns where these go usually it's the most basic thing is what happens usually but, the simplest answer yeah, is the right answer yeah yeah no it's, no it's, that's it's, i can see that yeah skull and bones and conspiracy theories and conspiracy theories are fun until you 100 believe in that conspiracy theory it's like mm-hmm. halloween's really fun for me 
But I don't think that fucking, you know, people are going to come back from the dead on Halloween. It's just fun. Like, Santa Claus is fun, but I don't actually believe in Santa Claus. What? He's... Oh, sorry. Are you? Oh, I really threw that out just there, didn't I? fucking wrecked my world. Son hmm. of a bitch. Sorry. Let's sew our butts together. <laughs> <laughs> butt bros. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave you with that disturbing image. Uh, all right. Thank you all. Uh, thanks for listening. They're going to end the show out now. Um, like I said before, be sure to share the show. Give us a rating. Follow us over on Instagram at TS Podcast Official. Uh, we want to do the Q&A. So if you have any questions maybe about this episode, you could ask it. Uh, and that will be at uh, toughshitthepodcast at gmail.com. So you could send your questions there. And uh, consider supporting us in the Anchor FM link in the show notes. It's only 99 cents a month if you want. That would be great. And we'll shout you out. I donate now to Beef and Dairy Network, five bucks a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn, look mm-hmm. at you. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bought a uh, Fellas Fellas shirt for uh, the boys cast. <laughs> so I bought a shirt. <laughs> oh, we'll have shirts again at some point. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking. That was another thing, too. Um VJ was gonna put a on the he was gonna put a link to our uh store, but we don't Hey, thanks, VJ. Yeah, but we don't have the store up anymore. I love that VJ's actually so. doing more work to promote the show than I am. <laughs> than you and I are. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean you're doing it. <clears throat> I'm just yeah, I mean my, uh, my only hope is that somebody'll see me reading a book and see the bookmark. Yeah. And be like, what's that? Uh-huh. So that's a bookmark. And they say, No, it's the show. And then I'll tell them. No, I'll be completely honest though. Last month I was busy doing a lot of other things and I just kind of put the show on the back burner for more. I forgot we ever did. (laughs) I did hand out a few cards when I was on my uh, honeymoon vacation. So if you live in Vermont or Maine and got, were lucky enough to get one of the handful of cards I left places. Lucky you. (laughs) Lucky you. Uh, So, all right. We're going to end this out. Uh, Thanks again. And we hope to see you guys on the next one. I say bye. You say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. And I say bye for now. Okay. Okay. Bye for now.